All right, good morning to everybody. We'll be in the book of Genesis again this morning. And last week, we looked at the importance of the genealogies, if you'll remember. So, uh, Adam had Cain, Adam and Eve had Cain, and they had Abel. Cain was going to be the line of the uh, the ungodly, unbelievers. That's who all came from Cain. Cain didn't follow God. Cain didn't teach his children about God. Cain killed Abel, so God replaced Abel with whom? Seth. And then began man to call upon the name of the Lord, which means they began to trust in their God, put put their hope and trust in Him and the promise of the coming Savior. And so we saw that with Cain and his descendants, we had the ungodly line of men. And with Seth and his descendants, we had the godly line of men. And we saw how the Bible followed Seth's descendants, Seth's lineage. And it didn't follow, it followed Cain's to a point, but when it came to continuing the story, the Bible story, it picked up in uh, chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5. If you'll look there just to remind us, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man, the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years, begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, called his name Seth. And it goes from Adam to Seth and Seth to uh, Enos. And then it goes on and on and on until it finally gets to, to this man named Methuselah. And Methuselah has a son named Lamech. And Lamech has a son named Noah. And I told you then that the genealogies were very important. And remember, we talked about how to tell the difference between the truth and the lie. A lie always leaves out details. So you can't um, piece things together because they know if they give too much detail, they're going to get caught in their lie. And uh, I remember one time I stopped a car and uh, I pulled the driver out and I'm talking to the driver on the side of the road and I said, hey, where y'all coming from? Oh, we're coming from Houston. Well, my ears got perking up when he said Houston because a lot of drugs come in from the Gulf on the ships come to Houston, and from there they get transported up to the rest of the U.S. That's where you're headed to. He said, oh, we're headed over to, and he told me some uh, local city not too far from where we were. I said, okay. And uh, so I visited with him for a little bit, and, and uh, I went over, and because he was a little shady character, and after I got his story, I went over and I started talking to the woman that was sitting in the passenger seat. Where y'all coming from? We're coming to Houston. Where y'all going? Is way up north. Totally different direction, totally different place than what that man told me. And uh, now had he just said, well, we're out on a ride, and had she said, we're just out on a ride, that's not enough information. But when he, when I have two different directions, two different locations, 
uh, and if I remember right, it was two different purposes. Suddenly, the details he gave me, and he gave me details, the details he gave me uh, couldn't be matched up. He was caught in his lie. And so um, I finally said, would you mind me looking in the trunk of your car? He said, I don't mind at all. He said, help yourself. He goes, ah, there's only one problem. I don't have a key to the trunk. I said, that's okay. So I didn't tell him what I was going to do. And I went back up to where the female was. I said, ma'am, would you open that glove box for me? She did. And I reached in and I punched that button to unlock the trunk. It had 66 pounds of marijuana in the back of his trunk. But that's what happens with lies. They try to leave out details or they'll get caught. The Bible truly is open to scrutiny. The Bible gives great details. And so we're following this line from Adam to the Savior God promised who would conquer Satan was leading the pack. He was in charge of the ungodly line. The seed of the serpent. That's the serpent seed. You see? God was over this line, particularly the promised Savior was over this line. And He's going to be born through this lineage one day. And then He's going to bruise or crush the head of that line. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Okay, remember all that? All right, now, with that said, we've now gotten to this man named Noah. Verse, chapter 5, verse 32. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's where the three main races of people came from, which we'll look at here later, but that's where they all came from. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, if we'll get to chapter 6. And it came to pass, verse 1, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Now remember, this is the infancy of the human race. That the sons of God, that's these men here, saw the daughters of men, that's the women on this side, that they were fair. In other words, they were good looking. Uh, And they took them wives of all which they chose. So here's what happens. For a while, you had this line over here. And they're passing down the faith of the coming Savior and all. You have this line over here. And after a while, you had men from this line over here. Men who were responsible, like Adam. Responsible to carry on the word, the commandment of God with their family. And they began to look at women over here and they thought, you know what? These are pretty women. Uh, I can marry them. It'll be okay. And they begin to marry into uh, unbelieving people. Well, when you have women or men that are raised up in uh, unbelieving homes and they're pagan, they don't believe in God or they, they whatever, now suddenly they're raising your children. Now, how are they teaching those children? They're teaching them how they want to teach. And I'll tell you, 
when a man and a woman believe the same, and they raise their children up where both the husband and wife have each other's back, and they're teaching the same truth to that child, that child is so much better off than in a home where you have conflicting beliefs and confused children and the husband and the wife not having each other's back. And that's what you end up having here. And so they begin lowering their standards here. The Christians, if you would, they weren't called Christians back then, but that's what they were. They were people looking for the Christ, the promised Savior, which is what Christ means. An anointed, the one chosen by God to save the world. So they began looking over here, and they lowered their standards, and they began marrying, intermarrying in with unbelieving people. The result was they began having children who also were unbelievers. And now the distinction between these two lines begins to blur, which is what's happened in America today as well. And so it begins to blur, and it get, begins to get corrupted. You always had believers, but a lot of them were very weak, shallow believers. And after a while, the human race began getting very corrupted. Remember, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it allowed us to be able to decide what was good and evil ourselves and to be able to see things that God created good in an evil way, which is terrible. So I want you to look and see what happens here in verse 2, Genesis 6, 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be in 120 years. So here's what's happening. The, the, the two lines begin to break down. And that caused a generation of unbelieving people, again, and, and weak believers. God was patient with them, but he says, my spirit's not always going to strive with them. I, I, God was correcting them. God was warning them. God was telling them, you know, stop what you're doing. They weren't listening, and God says, I'm not going to keep this up, <laughs> you know, my spirit's not always going to strive with man. He's also flesh. He's uh, and and he's going to die. I'm going to give him 120 years to get right. 120 years. So let's look here now. Verse six, uh, chapter. I'm sorry, chapter six, verse four. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. All right, now a lot of people falsely teach. Uh, well, let me tell you what the truth is first. So the, it says here, um, verse 4, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. So the sons of God, the godly line, came into the daughters of men, the ungodly line, they bare children to them, and now you have men of renown. You have men who are out trying to conquer the earth, trying to create war, trying to take the world over and own it for themselves. Uh, Dog-eat-dog world. All about me, all about you know gang rivalry, all these other things. And, and that's what men were known for then. They weren't known for calling on the name of the Lord. They weren't known for their godliness. They were known for being big, rough, tough, 
and I, if you've got it and I want it, I'm going to take it. That's what began to happen. There were big men back then. There were giants in the earth back then, and um, and not fairy tale giants. Real tall, big men. A lot of the tall men. We we were at a hotel yesterday. Tammy and I were yesterday morning before we drove back, and um, they had a ladies' basketball team in there. They were traveling around somewhere, and man, everywhere you look, you got women taller than you. You know, and they're just women everywhere tall, and. Uh, and back then there were clans of people that had those tall genes, and they were very big people, and they began giving birth, and these men were rough and tough. And so um, they became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Then to verse 4, look down verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Remember, he could know good and evil. And right now, all their plans were evil. This what happened. Sons of God came in the daughters of men. The line begins to break down. Now it's dog eat dog. And everyone's tough. And everyone's out to get the, their neighbor. And it's a very, very rough world right now. That's what became of it. And God says, I'm not doing this. Um, I'm going to give them 120 years. All right. Look here now in verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The word repent means to change your mind, to change your, your belief, your attitude about something. And so God, when God looked at man, when he first made man, he saw that everything he made was very good. Now his attitude has changed toward man because man, based on his own choices, is now only evil continually. And so now, instead of rejoicing in his creation, he's now heartbroken over it. How can that happen? Very easily. How many times has have women given birth to little boys and, and men and the woman rejoice over the little boys and they're happy over the little boys and the little boys grows up to be toddlers and they love them and they grow up into high school and everything's great and the little boy gets into drugs and mischief and theft and whatever else and next thing you know they're ashamed of their parents and now their whole attitude changes. They still love them. God still love these people. But it, now their attitudes change toward them. All right, it now grieves them at their heart. There's a lot of heartbroken parents out there, right? And God was a heartbroken God, so that should relate to all of us in here this morning. Uh, so it grieved him in his heart. Verse six, verse seven. Now, and the Lord said, "I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them." He's not saying, "I wish I'd have never made them." He's saying, it's grievous. I'm heartbroken over this. God is glad he made man, but he's heartbroken over the man he made. So verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God's going to destroy all man, beast, uh, the fowls of the air, and little creeping things, uh, the critters, the, the little bugs and whatever. He's going to destroy them. Uh, but uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God's going to save mankind. He's going to save the human race. He's going to go back to destroying everybody from this line. 
and save the godly remnant that's mixed up in this mess over here from. He's going to start back over with nothing but the believing line. Okay? So let's see what happens here. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. How come Noah did not get destroyed like the rest of the people? One word. Grace. That's it. Grace. God's unmerited loving kindness shown to Noah. Let's look here in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Perfect, perfect in his generation does not mean that Noah was sinless. Noah was a sinner just like everybody. But it meant Noah followed God with his whole heart. And uh, is, is what that means. So uh, verse 10, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, which is what we described just a little while ago. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the, ark, with the earth. All right? So now we're going to have a complete destruction of all of this line here, everybody except for Noah and his family. And they're going to be saved from the flood by grace. This is the first time that we see salvation with the word grace in it. How did God save Adam and Eve from destruction in the garden that day. Through the death of an innocent substitute who died in their place. That was God's grace. They did not deserve that. They deserved to die like God said. But they died through a substitute. The substitute died in their place. That was God's grace. Same way with Abel. Now we're going to see God saving Noah and his family from the coming destruction of the flood by his grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. All right, so let's see what this grace is going to look like. Look now in verse 14. God told Noah, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within without with pitch. I told you all we're beginning to know in the ark today. And by the way, next year, God willing, um, we'll, when we have the... Um, uh, the online service with the, the online members will be meeting up north and hopefully going to the ark together. See the replica of Noah's ark together. Anyone who wants to go, of course, is welcome. So, God says, make you an ark. Let's look at this ark. Now, an ark is a big, big ship. Okay, Or it doesn't have to be a ship, but it's some kind of boat, some type of floatable device here. He's going to make an ark. The ark is going to be made out of gopher wood, which most uh, experts believe gopher wood is cypress, which is incorruptible. Or it means it doesn't rot well. It holds, holds water very well. And uh, resists water, rather. And he says, room shalt thou make in the ark. All right. So we're going to look at a, a, a big ship. It's going to be made out of cypress or gopher wood. It's going to have rooms in it, and you're going to pitch it within without with pitch. All right? Now, 
Here's our ark. It's going to look something similar to this. Because he gives precise dimensions on here. Precise dimensions. Which is why they were able to recreate it up north with a replica. You're going to have an ark. It's going to have rooms in it. And you're going to take this ark and you're going to pitch it within and without with pitch. Alright, so we're going to put the word pitch up here. Does anyone know offhand what pitch is? Yeah, it's tar. Yeah, resin. It's it's a natural, water-resistant, tarry substance. And they're going to waterproof it. You're going to put pitch on the outside. You're going to put pitch on the inside. And that's going to be a way of waterproofing this. In... The earlier part of Genesis, we learned about a word called atonement. Y'all remember learning about that word atonement? The word atonement meant to cover. And if you'll remember, the first atonement we saw was when God killed the innocent animal animals instead of Adam and Eve. Then He clothed or covered them with the innocence of the one that died in their place. God atoned. He covered them. All right. Now, this word pitch in the Hebrew is kapar. And as we look at the animal sacrifices throughout the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament, and when God explains how the animal sacrifices provide an atonement for the people's souls, guess what word the word atonement is in Hebrew? Pitch, kafar, same word. God is saying you put atonement on the outside, you put atonement on the inside. So this ark is shaping up to be what the Old Testament sacrifices were. They were pictures, they were illustrations. Just as God slew the innocent substitute and clothed the, the guilty people and the innocence of the animals that died in their place, that was a picture of the coming Savior. The ark now is a picture of God's grace. God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so the ark now is going to be another picture. The same way God saved Noah and his family from the flood is the way God would save you and I from our sins. Every salvation you see in the Old Testament is a picture of the future promise Savior and how He's going to save us from our sins and death. So you put atonement on the outside, you put atonement on the inside. It was the blood of those animals that kept God's judgment from reaching Adam and Eve. It was the blood of the animal Abel offered that kept God's judgment from reaching Abel. It is the blood of the coming Savior that keeps God's judgment from reaching us. What was this? What was the pitch supposed to do? It kept the water out. How were the people going to die? God's going to bring a flood of water upon the earth. The water was God's judgment upon man. And it was the pitch that kept God's judgment from reaching Noah and his family on the inside of that ark.
This is all a picture of the of Jesus. It's all a picture of the coming Savior. So let's watch this as we go. <clears throat> God says, verse 15, This is the fashion which thou shalt make of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. This is a big, big ship. Uh, uh, so let's go on. Uh, verse 16, A window shalt thou make in the ark, to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. So, it's going to be a big ark. It's going to have rooms put in it. And this large ark with rooms in it shows us there's room for us in the promise that God gave of His coming Savior. There's going to be a window in the ark. The window's going to let light come in. Without that window, if you sealed up in this, it'd be total darkness. But there's going to be a window because whoever puts their trust in the coming Savior, they will have the light of life. The coming Savior said in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If any man follow me, he shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. So you've got light. You've got pitch, atonement. You've got incorruptible wood, that's gopher wood. That speaks of the sinless life of the coming Savior. Let's go on and look. Verse uh, 16, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, because the light comes from above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. How many doors? One. Let's put this door right here. God provided only one ark for man to go into and be saved from the coming judgment. There was only one door for them to enter into. By the way, Jesus not only said He is the light of the world in the New Testament, He also said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Isn't that amazing? There's only one way God has given the world today to be saved from sin and death. Only one, just like the ark, only one. There was no other option for Cain. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. There was no other option for Adam and Eve. There was no other option for Noah and his family. There is no other option for us. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the promised Savior and the promised Savior alone. I keep referring to it as a promised Savior because Jesus hasn't been mentioned yet in the Scriptures. But as we go, we'll see that's who it was. So we have a door, we have atonement, we have light, we have incorruptible his incorruptible life through the gopher wood. Uh, let's go ahead and look on here. He says, uh, you put the door in the side of it. Look at the end of verse 16. With lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. How many stories does Ark have? How many arcs are there? Not three arcs. Three stories, one arc. Not three gods. Three persons, one God. You see how grace, God's grace is perfectly pictured here. God is the Savior of man. There's one God. The coming Savior will be God in the flesh perfect sinless flesh, who will provide the pitch, the atonement, to keep God's judgment from reaching us. He'll provide the cover 
for our sins. There's only one Savior. The Savior will be God. God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and one God. And it will be God who saves man. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will save man. But how will He do it? Through the salvation God sends, the ark, which will be the door we enter into to be saved. As Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. It's absolutely marvelous how God paints the picture of Jesus here. Paints the picture of the Godhead. Now, let's look here now in verse uh, 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, that is with you, Noah, will I establish my covenant or my promise. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten. And thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be food for food for thee and for them. And thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And so now, let's move on to chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not claimed by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens of male and female to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth, all the earth. Yet for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the, of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God commanded Noah. So, Look here, if you would, at the at uh, verse one. The Lord said to Noah, "Come thou and all thy house into the ark." Now, where was God when all this happened? Was he outside the ark or was he inside the ark? If God was on the outside of the ark, he'd say, "Go into the ark." God was on the inside of the ark. He said, "Come into the ark." You see, the Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. Again, another perfect picture of Christ. God is in this ark saying, Come, come. I'll invite you in. I will protect you. And this will be the means of my protection. This will be my provision. You can come. Sinners can come into here. 
and be saved. What did it take Noah and his family to do to be saved from the flood? They had to believe God's promise that this ark would deliver them from the flood, and they had to put their trust in that ark. That's it. They had to to put their trust in the ark. What does it take for us to be saved from our sins? We have to believe God's promise concerning His promised Savior, the atonement He made, and trust that what He did on the cross, the atonement He made, will also deliver us from sin and death. And as they put their trust in the ark, so we put our trust in the promised Savior. This is what this is a picture of. And once they go inside, I want you to look here now. And, and remember, if it was uh, clean animals, that was the animals they were allowed to eat and sacrifice. They took in by sevens, unclean by twos. Let's look here now, and God's going to cause it to rain 40 days and 40 nights. If you'll notice in the Bible, the number 40 is a number of perfect trial. Perfect trial. Numbers are very important in the Bible. Perfect tests are in increments of 40s. If you'll look up here, my little pointer, I got a pointer somewhere. Well, I'll have to find my pointer. I got a pointer somewhere. Anyway. No, I sent one to Nigeria. I've got more than one. Of course, sometimes I see kids running around with a pointer too. Oh, there it is. Luxury. All right, if y'all look here now, this is the history of the earth, the biblical history of the earth. If you'll look up here, where there's Noah right here. This is where we are on the timetable of the earth. This is... Before this is you know, my maybe twenty five hundred BC or something. I, we're not. I'm not exactly sure how long ago this was. Uh, off the top of my head, I could tell you pretty much precisely how long it is if if I could uh, consult my my timeline that I have. But right off the top of my head, but it is before two thousand BC. So it's over two thousand years before Christ. The Christ came. Okay, so God in eternity past knew that Christ would come. He promised the Christ to Adam and Eve, passed it down here to all these men here. This is where we are right now on the timetable. And then as you see, we'll go through here. If you look here, Israel will be in Egypt approximately 400 years, increment of 40. Uh, They're in the wilderness of Egypt, 40 years. The times of the judges, 400 years, another increment of 40. The times of the kings, 400 years. Uh, Between the Old and New Testament, there's 400 years. Uh, When when you start looking at the genealogies, you'll see it's in increments of 40 as well. That is not only biblical history, it is secular history because it's God's history. And uh, everything that God made is is woven into his creation, uh, his numbers here are even with the ark. Forty days and forty nights, it's going to rain. Did you know that every major people group has a record of the flood, the worldwide flood? Every one. They're not all accurate. 
because they're all believers, but it's all the same. Chinese got a record of the flood. Everybody's got a record of the flood. Every major people group has a record that there was a worldwide flood. And, uh, and this is uh, the accurate record of it. And we see why it happened here. All right, let's go ahead and look here now. In uh, uh, Let's go to verse 12. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind and every bird after every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as the Lord had commanded him. Look here at the end of verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. Noah went into the ark with his family and the beast. And when they went in, who closed the door? God did. God shut them in. The moment they put their trust in the ark, their decision was finalized. God sealed them shut and safe inside that ark. In the same way, when we put our trust in Christ, God seals and puts us in safe in Christ. Some people say, oh, well, you know, you can, you can be saved and you can lose your salvation and be lost again and die and go to hell and all that. Once you put your trust in Christ as your Savior, now you can go down and walk down an altar and pray a prayer. That's not salvation. God didn't tell Noah to stand outside the ark and invite the ark to come into his heart. It didn't make any sense. That's not salvation. God didn't tell Noah, go up, go up to the ark and say, Ark, we surrender our life to you to serve you. And we want a personal relationship with this ark. They would have drowned. They all would have drowned. That's a false gospel. That has nothing to do with the Bible at all. And a lot of churches teach things like that, and they're false. Noah was to put his trust in the ark. By faith, Noah built this ark and entered into this ark, as God's instructions gave him. And so the same way with us, when we put our faith and trust in the promised Savior, God shuts us in. If you'll look real quick in the book of Ephesians... Ephesians, oh, just a minute. Chapter, oh, hang on. Let me make sure I'm on the right. Yep, I am. Give me just a second here. Chapter 1, to be meant to find it. Then we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1, 
Chris has got it on his phone. It's fast looking up on your phone. And yeah, uh, uh, we're going to be at verse twelve. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the, the yeah yeah the phone is much quicker than the the written page. Yeah. So Ephesians one. Look here in verse twelve. Paul, the apostle Paul is going to explain why uh, he was saved. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. How was Noah and his family saved from the flood? They put their trust in the ark. They believed God's promise concerning His salvation that He provided them in the ark. So they staked their lives upon the, the, the ark. Right? We still got one turning over there. We'll give her... There you go. Give them time to get there. So they staked their lives upon the ark. They didn't say, well, you know what? We'll go up and climb up a high mountain. We'll climb up in a tree. We'll build a big tree house or a big tower and we'll climb up into it. They didn't do that. They had to make a decision how they were going to escape that flood. And they made the decision to risk their lives upon the promise God gave them and say, we're going to stake our complete trust in this ark that God provided. In the same way that they trusted in the ark, Paul said in verse 12 that we should be the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. The apostles were one of the first ones to trust in Christ. They staked their soul's eternity, eternal welfare, upon the promise of Jesus Christ in the atonement He made. They could have been like the other people in Noah's day. And we'll find out as we finish this up next week. There were The majority of people didn't get in the ark. Only Noah and his family got in. The rest of them, they didn't believe. And I'm sure when it started raining, they climbed up mountains. I'm sure they climbed up trees. I'm sure they got on top of their houses. I'm sure they tried all sorts of ways to be delivered from that flood. And all of it failed. The only people who were delivered were the ones who put their trust in the salvation God provided, which was the ark, which was a picture of Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, we have trusted in Christ. We are not trying any other way to be delivered from sin and death. We're putting our trust in Christ. Now watch now. Verse 13, in whom Paul tells the Ephesians, in whom ye also trusted. Ephesians 1.13, the Ephesians also had trusted in Christ. And look what he said, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So after the Ephesians heard the gospel, which means good news, after they heard the good news of their salvation that Christ provided, they trusted also in Christ. In whom, look down middle of verse 13, in whom also after that ye believed, say it with me, ye were what? Everyone there? Go, go, go to verse 13. I want to make sure you all are all with me. Is everyone in Ephesians 1, 13? All right. In whom also that after that after you I'm sorry in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believe what ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise after you believed after you believed the promise of salvation was provided to you in Jesus Christ and you put your trust in the Savior that God provided just as they put their trust. 
in the Savior from the flood that God provided. As God shut them in when they put their trust in the ark and sealed them shut, when we put our trust in Christ, the Apostle Paul said, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Isn't that good? God shuts us in. People say, well, you can fall into sin. Noah, I'm sure, fell down in the ark, but he never fell out of it. He was safe the whole time. Do we sin after we become believers in Christ? We're all sinners. Noah was a sinner when he was out of the ark. He was a sinner when he went into the ark. But Noah was a saved sinner because he put his trust in the salvation God provided. I'm a sinner. Not as bad a sinner as Gabriel. Right? Definitely not as bad as Jonathan. Right? Jonathan forgot his glasses. I mean, that's pretty bad. Blame on his mama. That's a real bad sin. <laughs> but, but we're all sinners, aren't we? The difference, though, is I recognize the judgment coming. And I have put my trust in the salvation God provided. In my ark is Jesus Christ. That's the true salvation God provides. Does that make sense? With that, we'll go ahead and stop. Lord willing, next week we will watch knowing His family get off the ark after the flood and start a brand new life on earth and what happened after that.